Today on the podcast, we're doing something a little bit different. One of the things we've heard a lot from you is that you want to get to know who we are. So in today's episode, Jack is going to be interviewing me. Is it going to be a little bit strange for us? A little bit. But are you going to get to learn a lot about who we are and why we do what we do? Absolutely. Let's rip into it. Well, fingers crossed this is good. Um, I feel like we're going to be a little bit more loose when we do this. I still wrote down these, these super formal questions, but we'll see how we go. Brilliant. Structure. 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 It helps. Tom, you're the man who sits next to me once a week, every week to do this show. Um, I have the pleasure of knowing you pretty well, but the audience doesn't. What I want from you is I want you to give me the, the bird's eye view, the, the 1,000 foot scoped out sort of, I guess, what would you call the highlight reel of your life that's led you to the point where you're sitting here with me, hopefully making some sort of difference in the world? <laughs> we'll go with that. We'll go with that. Highlight reel. Gee whiz. Um, I think that the best place to start with that is probably talk a little bit about my upbringing. So I come from a family of four boys. The first thing that people say when I say this, my poor mum, which I do not agree with because now she's got two lovely daughters-in-law and in the future, maybe some more. Um, but coming from a family of four boys, very competitive household. Uh, and you're number two as well. I am number two. So Always I've got that middle two. child syndrome. Mm. I've, got the little, I've got the little bit of scrappy in me, um, which is really interesting growing up, especially because my older brother and I are very close in age. Uh, and have similar but opposing interests. So we were always very competitive. Uh, we definitely butted heads a lot, especially through our high school years. But growing up in that environment that was competitive, I think it, um, I always knew that I wanted to be pushing the boundaries, doing whatever I was doing. Um, I didn't really know what I wanted to be when I grew up. I say that in retrospect, actually. I knew what I wanted to be when I mm. grew up but I also didn't. I thought I wanted to be a doctor. My dad's a doctor. His dad was a doctor. His dad was in the medical profession. So it felt like a little bit of intergenerational, mm. not pressure, but um, expectation that that was something I would be. So went down to Otago for my first year uni when I left high school, uh, did health science. And I vividly remember getting my results back from my first semester. And there's this whole, I'm not sure if it's actually a thing, I'm pretty sure it is, but if you get less than seventy-five percent in one paper, um, they completely discount you from getting into. You, you're done. Um, and I remember getting Damn. my physics result back after getting back all my others. And my physics one, I can't remember exactly what I got, but it was definitely below seventy-five percent. Spoiler alert: I'm not very good at physics. And one of the realizations I wish I'd had at that moment was the world doesn't need another doctor who's bad at physics, um, no matter how passionate I was about it. Um, but I went through the rest of health science and I really enjoyed it. And I met a lot of really interesting people had a lot of a good time down in Dunedin, but um, which for those of those who aren't in New Zealand, we're in Christchurch, which is the middle of the South Island. Dunedin's right at the bottom. Um, at the end of that year, my dad did something really great, which was, you know, before you decide to jump into medicine, whether that was going and doing sort of biomedical science or continuing with health science and then, trying to get in later, it was a take a gap year and, and make sure you really love it. 
which is probably the best piece of advice I've ever been given. Um, just because it allowed me to really explore who I was. And I also, I think health science was a great place for me to sort of first experience true failure because you don't have a safety net when you're at university, I think. You're very much self-motivated learning. Well, especially when you're away from your parents as well and you're in a completely different city, you know, for some people in a completely different country. Totally, totally. And I, know, I think no matter how, how good your teaching has been at high school or how naturally talented you are, it's just a completely different environment. And it's nice to sort of experience a little bit more adversity than I had previously. Um, anyway, took that gap year, went on a nice bit of travel and came back and decided that I wanted to study something completely different and went into a commerce degree, which I had a lot of fun doing. But the thing that I loved most about the commerce degree was kind of learning about the complexities of business across the whole gamut. So while I was in doing commerce, I got to study finance and marketing and management. Um, which was just, yeah, like I said, an incredible opportunity to kind of understand all facets um, and start to figure out where my strengths were. My strengths were definitely not finance. I didn't do badly in finance, but my strengths were definitely He's telling me this now. Finances. <laughs> I've never given financial advice and I never will. Um, the podcast <laughs> is going under. It is going under. It's going under. <laughs> Um, but no, I think it was more just I wasn't super interested in it. Very interested yeah. in sort of the investment side of things, but not like accounting and finance. Um, but really loved the side of sort of the strategy behind business, executing in business and making something new. I um, wasn't a part of Entree, which is the entrepreneurial society at UC, but I wish I was. Um, I had a lot of friends who were, and they had a lot of cool opportunities out of that, but one of the things that I loved about university, which I think everybody should make a point of is networking and getting to know people and sort of building, starting to build that community around yourself because it opens doors and it starts giving you opportunities. I mean, ironically, I said finance wasn't my biggest strength, but I went straight out of uni uh, to the bank. Yeah, of course you did your, your time at ANZ. I did, I did. And I actually went into... Uh, institutional banking which is sort of for like the larger businesses in New Zealand um and the side of it I was in was very much customer centric very like helping the customer these large organizations sort of achieve the best with their banking products which was a side that I loved but I wasn't actually that interested in the banking products themselves I just got to work with some really really interesting companies uh coming into New Zealand uh, but I left the bank knowing that I really, really did not want to go back. Yeah. Um, I don't know. And I think coming from a family that was very much in like a standard vertical, if you want to call it that, like the professional mm. degrees, like my older brother had gone away and done law. My younger brother was studying like psychology, being doctorate in that sort of area. Um, he then went on to be an English teacher, actually. But that's a whole different story. Um you know, sort of the expectation to be in a professional career, something that was very easy to explain, especially intergenerationally. Like my grandparents yeah. came to visit me while I was at the bank and it was very easy to tell them what I was doing. Um, but I always had a vision to do something more, something more entrepreneurial. Um, I want to sort of just wind back a little bit. Um, you, you've touched on the the family influence, obviously, family of four boys, um, your dad hugely instrumental in, um, I guess, helping you develop the mindset you've got. Um, you guys originally moved to New Zealand from the UK. I was wondering if there was any part of that 
process of the shifting around you did a lot as a kid that you'd attribute to, I guess, who you are at the moment or, or that journey? Yeah, there's definitely an aspect of that. Mm. We moved every two years from the age of zero through till when did we move back to New Zealand? Like 11. Um, you know, we, I was born in New Zealand. Uh, moved from Auckland to Hamilton when I was six weeks old, from Hamilton to Christchurch, Hamilton over to the UK, spent some time over there, came back to Christchurch. Um, and I think you that sort of helps develop you because you, I'm naturally very extroverted, mm. so I loved making new friends and meeting new people, but it certainly puts a lot of adversity in your way because you're constantly having to make new friends and be adaptable and like your family's very like the only really super constant mm. thing, um, especially because, you know, you're not living in the same house for the two, three years that you're living in some place. You're moving around different houses and moving around different schools and different friend groups. And so it all, it's sort of constantly changing. So I think that did have a big impact. Yeah, because to circle back to your, I guess, your time at uni and your found joy for networking, I was wondering if you would attribute any of that to your experience from having to adapt to new environments. I think it made me better at it, but I don't Mm. think I attributed my love for people to that. Yeah. I think I'm just, I think I'm just naturally quite, I mean, if you've ever done like Gallup strength finders, the 34 Clifton strengths, um, like my top one is, uh, individualization, which is essentially just getting to know people on a very personal individual level, which I think is probably, um, a sort of inherent trait rather than like a, I'd learn straight, like nature versus nurture, right? Yeah. Um, I think naturally that's probably something that I enjoy doing. I remember getting forced to do strength finders by basically everyone surrounding me. I, I waited two years to do it just to piss everyone off. So I was uh, <laughs> sat down in front of a computer and someone paid for it and they went, don't waste my money, do the strength finders. But it is helpful. It is helpful if you haven't done it. The most ironic thing is I was definitely a strength finder basher. <laughs> oh, until, see? Yeah. Until like halfway through last oh. year, I did my first ever strength finder, which was really interesting. Actually, I think I was even someone who was like, look, I don't want to be that guy. I hated everyone who did this to me, but <laughs> yeah. you should probably do it. Yeah, exactly. You definitely said that. It is so useful. I think it's mm. good. Like, it's very. Um, it's a good opportunity to be introspective. <laughs> like look inside yourself, mm. actually analyze your strengths and how can you outwork that in your job? Which I think was, well, not necessarily just your job, but like in helping find your vocation, right? So like the Mm. thing that you're most passionate about, the thing that you were like is inherent to who you are as a person and how you outwork that through the the work that you do. Um, But I always loved networking and like Mm. connecting with people and I was good at it. So I just kind of like naturally leaned in that way. And that was actually how I like got my first job out of banking yeah. Um, I want to preface this by saying like, I'm very conscious of the fact that I grew up in a super privileged position, like having a dad who was a surgeon. Um, we got to do a lot of travel. I went to private school for high school. I had a lot of doors opened for me because of that. Uh, and I don't think that's a negative thing, but I think it'd be stupid of me not to recognize the impact that that had on my upbringing, especially when yeah. I consider the fact that when I left the bank and I was looking for other jobs, I sort of tapped back into my network from private high school and got in touch with my friend's dad, who John Brackenridge, who owned, who founded and was a CEO of the New Zealand Merino Company. Uh, one, because they were doing some incredible work, very innovative work in an industry that I hadn't really considered. Like 
I remember my um, careers advisor at school telling me that agriculture is not just farms. Um, <laughs> and I didn't believe him. Uh, Chris Sellers, I should have believed him. Yeah, well, somewhere um, he's out there going. Well, he might even still be so. at Christ College. So there you go. He, he could have said, I told you so. Agriculture at Lincoln, I think, was one of the things he suggested to me. Because agri-tech is a whole space, right? Oh, and yeah, there's a lot massive. of innovation in that space. Like it's mm. not just farm gates and quad bikes and the actual animals. There's the whole ecosystem around it. Yeah, which is and the huge. New Zealand Merino Company was the first company that I really saw that doing that super well, maybe because I just sort of stumbled across it. But I was super passionate about their journey for sort of um, sustainable wool fiber and the innovations they were doing and working with these huge brands around the world like supplying New Zealand heritage New Zealand companies like Swan Drive but also working with the likes of Hallie Hansen and um, Laura Piana like yeah, fine suiting yeah it's just it was crazy to me that we were able to punch above our weight from Christchurch and so I got I after sort of being a little bit of a bull terrier and um, sending lots of emails and phone calls and sitting down with John once and meeting their head of um, uh, design and creative side of things, Steve, um, they asked me to come along and provide my thoughts at a couple of these things called RX Masters courses, which was essentially a group of primary sector CEOs from all around the country thinking about how they can do regenerative agriculture better, mm. which was kind of a bit of a baptism by fire. I was probably the youngest in the room by like 30 years, just sort of... Got... I remember you talking to me about this mm. specific conference, but yeah, yeah please keep going. At the NZM like... office and... Yeah. and talking about regenerative agriculture, something I kind of had no idea about, but I had a great idea about marketing and innovation and how to kind of approach this from a different lens, especially I think from a different generation's lens, probably the person that they were trying to sell to. Yeah. Right? Because NZM's business model, I guess every uh, agricultural or most agricultural businesses, business model is they're not like B2C, they're not business to the end consumer. Like you don't have much to do with Zespri who supply you kiwi fruit. Zespri sell to a retailer who sell to you, but they also try to have to control part of that narrative. Really interesting. Yeah. I could talk about that for a very long time. But We're talking about you, mate. We are talking about me, but I learned a lot about myself during um, that. And that's how I kind of got roped into NZM. And I met this very lovely, very crazy guy who we had on the podcast for the first time. Uh, Logan, Dr. Logan, Dr. Logan Williams, who wasn't a doctor at the time, but he had been very successful sort of through his first three or four inventions. If you haven't listened to Logan's episode, definitely go and listen through it. Um, it's the first one we did listen to it. Come on. Definitely listen to it. It's funny how the quality sort of increased since then. Actually, I was thinking about this the other day. Well, I was going to say, how about this one? Mm. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> it's much harder when you're talking about yourself. I think. Absolutely. I'm not. Yeah, I definitely don't envy you when I've got to do my one, but we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> I have no idea. I don't even know how this is going. <laughs> Fantastically, man. Uh, yeah, and so I met Logan and I sort of got put on this four-month contract to be a full-time employee of New Zealand Merino and help Logan sort of like develop this thing and sort of help prove its commercial viability. And I spent four months doing that. Mm. We sort of got the yes, go ahead from New Zealand Merino and stepped into this like co-founder position with Logan to kind of bring what was Keravos, which was sort of the technology that we used to create these wool fiber composites and drastically um, 
disrupt the plastics industry and turn it into this company called Shearage, which was uh, an ingredient brand which used wool fiber as a replacement for plastic. The easiest way to think of it is like a, a wool fiber composite, like fiberglass. Um, the similarities with it being are by adding a fiber to a polymer, which is like a, a plastic, where that bioplastic or normal plastic, it makes it stiffer, lighter, stronger, um, and more robust. And so you're able to make these amazing long life products with it. And we turned Shearage into an ingredient brand, which the best way to think about it, it's like a Gore-Tex. You buy a Nike shoe, it's covered in Gore-Tex, it's waterproof. Uh, you buy a jacket from Arcturix or, I don't know, oh, Kathmandu yeah. do their own waterproofing. But you know, like it's a, it's a brand which sits within another product to make it better. Yeah. And we got to partner with some awesome brands um, from like Yeti over in the US doing prototype woolen cooler bins to... You guys got to work with the coolest people, man. It was so... It was so actually cool. crazy. And in two years of probably the most crazy hard work of my life. I want to know how that changed who you were. If you look back and reflected on that two-year period, what shifted in your mindset, your life based around that? We talked about this a lot with Logan. I think I realized, number one, what I was super passionate about, which was solving real world problems. I loved working for myself um, to an extent. I mean, I was still an employee of New Zealand Marino, but like we had full autonomy over the work that we were doing. Um, and the other part of, that I learned about that, like Logan was very much the technical person. Um, and a big part of like the the commercializing space, you kind of have a T-shaped role in startups. I talk about this a lot when I go and talk at like careers of the future events or whatever, but you've got your core responsibility, but you kind of operate across the whole business in yeah. every different faction. But my side of the business is very much like commercials, cost of goods sold, and then partnerships. So like working with all of these other companies that we got to work with. And I loved that. Like yeah. going and selling them the dream and then backfilling. We talked about this with quite a lot of people who came like going and selling the dream, yeah. something you might not necessarily have, and then just hustling like absolute mad to try and get something done. And I just, I loved that because it was all this eustress. Like Logan talked about this all the time, challenges that you can solve, like actually pushing yourself to kind of dive into these areas. And I loved the strategic side. Like I really just, I loved solving problems. I loved getting to work with some incredible people. I loved learning really quickly about an industry that I previously had absolutely zero idea about and kind of like baptism by fire. If you don't know your stuff, you look like an idiot. So you better learn pretty quickly. <laughs> How many times did you catch yourself looking like an idiot? Oh, lots, 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 lots. Um, hilariously, I'm working in a completely different industry now. And um, I had a, a scenario the other day, like very similar to what I had in, back in Shearage, but like you call someone up to to learn about their industry or company or sell them something and you just get caught with your pants down because you haven't done your research. Like I vividly remember calling up this company who I thought manufactured um, chairs in New Zealand. I think it was that they were down in Timaru. Uh, but turns out they didn't do any of their own manufacturing. They weren't vertically integrated. They didn't own a supply chain. And essentially this lady on the phone just told me to like piss off. She was like, I think you've done your research wrong. Click, hung up. And this was like 30 seconds into the call. Oof. That bad. is tough. But also, like, on the other end of the spectrum, having to go up to Hamilton where our production facility was, working with Andy, who was our production tech, who was amazing, 
I knew everything about plastics. I never sort of pretended to know anything about anything like close to what he knew, like 30, 40 years in the industry. But the amount of times like they would ask you a question and you're supposed to know, like we've done all these technical data sheets and this testing and you sort of should know our own product, but I'd say something and I'm like using the wrong words or the wrong lingo and I just sound like an idiot. And But that taught me a lot, like to actually really know your stuff yeah. and like actually spend the time early on in a new project or a new business or whatever you're doing, but to actually really understand what you're talking about. And also on the other end of that, not be afraid to say to someone, I don't know, but I'm going to go away and find out and I'm going to go away and tool. learn. Um, if you're willing to be corrected, if you're willing to admit your ignorance, you'll learn faster than I think probably the first couple of months I did that. I was definitely a little bit arrogant because I'd done really well in my degree and I'd gone on to the banking thing, which had gone down from 1,600 applicants to like six or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, while I'd had adversity, like not doing super well in health science or not doing, you know, relative, right? It's not doing super well compared to what I expected of myself there. It's coming to banking, right? And... um a commerce degree where I like thrived and excelled and then back to this where it was like baptism by fire. You need, you, it was like so important to learn to humble myself. And I think that that I've taken that into everything since then, not necessarily, um, not backing yourself, but being willing to learn. That's a fantastic answer to, I guess what has been your, you, f you focused on this heavily, um, I guess, in your answer, the portion of your life that was NZ Merino and um, the time that you spent at ShareEdge. Really incredible for you to kind of, I don't know, make that reflection upon all the learnings you've done. Mm. I'm interested to hear more about who you are outside of that space. What has gone on in your life over the, the past few years that has really shaped you into who you are now and, and why you want to be investing in the future. Um, and then maybe we can jump into the, the work you're doing as well. But That's a really big yeah. question. Well, I, one of the things I really wanted to touch on was like the biggest thing that was going on through that whole time was like, obviously COVID um, was an overarching theme, but like I met my wife at uni through like mutual friends of ours actually. Yeah. Hilariously, my wife and I had gone to the same church growing up. Well, like since we moved back to New Zealand for a very long time, had no idea. Um, met through mutual friends at uni, went to like a games night with a bunch of people who were like from uni, some from church, some from like sport or whatever. And that's where we kind of hit it off eight years ago, seven, seven years ago. Yeah, it's weird. I have memories of like the conception of this thing. Yeah. My wife, who wasn't my wife at the time, telling me, yeah, whispers. <laughs> and it was like, there were whispers. <laughs> there were whispers. Um, whispers in the night. But that was a really big theme and I never sort of like picked myself from someone who was being like young married, especially coming from like growing up Christian and then like kind of not going to church for a long period of time and then sort of coming back to church. Um, I'd never really considered myself being a young married person, mm. especially with like the aspiration that I had. I didn't think it was synonymous, but what Liv taught me was that it was and that she was like the biggest support throughout that time. Um, like when I was at Shear Edge, uh, Liv was like 
finishing off study. We were like engaged and preparing to get married. Then like we got married. Um, all the while this chaos was going on, like silly hours driving up and down the country. Logan and I just spending weeks and weeks in the factory up in Hamilton and like flying In the factory or the bongo? In the factory or the bongo, the Mazda bongo. If you don't get that, go and listen to Logan's episode, like halfway through, Shear Edge, Mazda yeah. bongo. Whoever and Mazda bongo. The Shear point. Edge painter van, we called it. <laughs> um, but like Liv was just epic mm. through that and I felt so supported and I think that was why we just worked so well. But then like the big pivot with the Shear Edge was like we were recapitalizing the business. Liv and I were having a baby. Um, which is huge. Which was huge. And it was like, how am I going to balance being in a startup with being a dad and a good husband? Um, I still have no clue how you do it. Well, I don't know if I do it particularly well. And I, I was discussing this with producer Jack, uh, the other Jack, who you never see on the video, but he's here, he's floating around. Um, that's something that I definitely struggle with is like balance mm. and um, – and good use of my time while being like a good dad, while wanting to do the podcast, while wanting to still be in startup world. But I guess the long and short of it is I left startup world despite knowing that I was passionate about like solving big problems and having an impact, which is what yeah. I got out of Shearage. Like that was really what I wanted to do was I wanted to solve big problems, have a job that was hugely people-centric and make an impact beyond my immediate environment i remember writing them in my linkedin bio at some point which sounds super wanky and i'm really like fully <laughs> fully aware that that sounds super wanky um well there's a lot of things that you can do that are a bit wanky yeah but but they are always i'm so gonna good. be dead in seven years and oh wow no one's no, gonna remember no. <laughs> no um but they are they're fantastic like some things just are wanky but they're worth doing and it's worth being a wanker sometimes a good one. Can we cap? Can we, let's quote that one. <laughs> with Chuck being that a wanker. Chuck that one a good wanker. Oh. <laughs> the quote gets better. <laughs> but I think like that, that was what I realized, right? And I had to kind of leave that behind, which was hard and really mm. difficult. But also like on leaving Shear Edge. And I actually tried to get a job at New Zealand Marino after that, which didn't end up working out. Um which was probably a good thing, but I had like 15 weeks off because I cool. didn't, um, because I left Cherridge um, to spend with Zander and I was like financially able to do that, which was an absolute dream. That's incredibly rare. And I know, and I wouldn't yeah. change it for the world. And it was like, you know, I didn't have that job to go into at New Zealand Marino and that was like quite difficult at the time. I remember like finding that really hard, but also realizing that I was, because I'd left Shearage, financially able to do it, to take that time. And that was the best. Like having that time was just outrageously valuable. And that was mm. like way better than, way, way better than just making an impact with a business. Well, not better, but like completely different. And just had a complete different slew of emotions, which I really enjoyed. Yeah. It, something that amazes me about you, Tom, is you've expanded my mind on what, uh, capacity can really look like in someone's life. Um, obviously, you're an incredibly driven guy. Your dad, husband, we're doing this, and you're working on new exciting startups. 
Um, I'm a group fitness instructor. I and he's a group, yeah, that. a group fitness instructor of, of all things. Um, Stick with that at UC. Shout out UC Rex and Sport. <laughs> if you don't come to my group fitness classes, you should. Yeah, it definitely blows my mind every time I think about all the things you do. I don't know how you do them. I don't know either. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, no, still. Yeah, I said this, this in the Carter Jack the other week, and I was like, I don't actually know how I'm doing it, but methamphetamine. <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> joke, joke. Put but that on a t-shirt. I guess, um, kind of coming to the end of the time, we have to to really talk about that. What are your, I guess, leaving thoughts on why you are doing what you're doing now? I guess I'll take that question in, I guess, a two-parter, right? Like, why are we doing the podcast? Or why am I doing the podcast? And number two, like, why am I... Well, how does that fit within the scope of everything I do on the day-to-day? Sounds like a plan. I'm doing the podcast, I think, because it, it was almost like a selfish endeavor, right? When I first... We first talked about it, for me at least. Over the last four years, I've had an insane opportunity to have some conversations with some super cool people. Just being like in and around the startup space and the people that that attracts. I think that um, I was very privileged to do that and meet a lot of really interesting people. And so the podcast was a way to like digitize those conversations. Kind of Mm. for my own ability to go and reflect on them and pull out learnings and, you know, actually have that recorded. Like I got to speak with this person. Amazing. But then that kind of developed into I would love to be able to bring all of the stuff that I learned from these conversations that we're lucky enough to have to other people. Um, I think that comes back to the people-centric nature, right? Like the top strength being individualization. Like I, don't, I really want every single person who listens to the podcast to take something away from it. And like we put, please send us emails at hello at theprogresspod.com in every episode. Um, please do. Because we want people to like send feedback and, tell us what they learned and you know we're still getting better at like learning how to be creators and actually get that message across properly but I'm really passionate about that and I Mm. think that um that needs to happen number two for the podcast is also like those stories need telling we've spoken about this with every single guest Kiwis are terrible at telling their own stories um what did I say to Tim it was like we're the nation of you know Lord of the Rings and Amazing! Game I think you said this exact line to every person who's been I on the I podcast. Have, but I, I, I just <laughs> fundamentally believe it. I think Kiwis aren't good at telling their own stories. We've got this tall poppy syndrome. Yeah. We operate at amazingly high levels and perform on a global stage, but we're not good at celebrating those stories. And I don't think anyone in New Zealand does it in a studio like this that gives the sort of environment for the guest to feel comfortable in the lounge to like share their story. And yeah. I feel like we're getting better and better at sharing those stories and asking the right structure. How that fits within the context of everything else that I do, like I'm still very involved in the startup space. Like I went into consulting for a little bit, give me a little bit of stability with um, having a wee boy, but now I'm back in a startup scale-up called Menuade, which I love. It's an incredibly cool company. We've got an awesome culture and we're solving that problem of what are consumers going to have for dinner? but doing it in a new and digital way. And the other side to that business is actually how does that give us a whole bunch of data and insights that can improve what's actually available for consumers at the supermarket and help brands to get the right products in that are actually going to serve a purpose for mealtimes. So we serve, what, 20, 18,000 different households? 18,000 to 20,000 different households. And it's just an awesome, awesome business. 
and I love being part of it and being back in that culture, especially not as a founder. Like it's, it's a different dynamic, but I love it. And that's given me opportunities as well to kind of like marry these two lives together. And I think the biggest thing, which I said to Brianne, like I don't have full autonomy over my time, but I've got pretty close to full autonomy over my time. Like, mm. and I love that. And I just love all of the work that I get to do which I think is the biggest thing you can ask for, right? Like I found my vocation, voice, calling, whatever you want to call it. I get to solve real problems every day. I get to uplift other people and teach them things and bring them content that's actually going to improve their lives. And I get to do that in the businesses that I'm involved in and the events that I get to go to and the people I get to meet. And my family is happy and healthy and financially stable. Like I've just sort of, built a bit of a life that I kind of dreamed of. Well, there you go. That was a, that was a heck of an answer. A little bit longer than I wanted. Sorry, mate. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was so good. Dude, um, thank you so much for sharing. I hope everyone learned a little bit more about Tom. Um, you get to learn more about me next week. But um, And I swear we're not always yeah. serious. I feel like I no. get a lot of serious answers, but... One of the things you also want to do with the podcast is get the phrase Meanage Bo Beanage out there because, oh. it, it, you know, it's close to Jack's heart. Very close. It's, on, it's a mission statement for us. There you go. Take that home with you. Uh, Meanage Bo Beanage is the homework for the week. <laughs> Say it. Hashtag Meanage Bo Beanage. Say Somewhere. it three times. Yeah, perfect. I think that that's a wrap. That's <laughs> oh, a wrap. gosh. You have been listening to The Progress Podcast. We launch episodes every Friday. And if you want to know more about us and who we are and what we do, you can visit our website, theprogresspod.com. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. So tune in on your favorite podcast channels or head to our YouTube to see what we're up to in the studio. We'd also love to hear your feedback. So send your burning questions, your guest suggestions, and your feedback to hello at theprogresspod.com.